0: Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clearpath Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, we're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life. At the end of the sermon, there'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned, and thanks for joining. You guys ever been to Branson, Missouri? Yes. Pretty great place, huh? Am I right? Likely to go into a coffee shop and hear an old lady playing the spoons. That's a good time. Lots of of, of Jesus t-shirts. Yeah. Well, when I was, how old was I when we went to Branson? 15, 16? Sure. Had to ask my parents. I don't actually know. When I was 15 or 16, my family took a trip to Branson. And while we were there, we went to Silver Dollar City. Which is kind of like six legs but, better. but but better yeah and at this theme park they have a cave tour where they like take you down in the caverns who's been to a cave tour of some sort before take you down in the caverns they they teach you all about what's going on there all about the stalactites and stalagmites and so on and and so when we got down to the very bottom of the cave it was very dark and they said okay we're gonna turn off all the lights and, uh, because we want to take really good pictures. So, you know, our professional equipment works better if we use like the flash that goes with it. And so we're going to turn off all the lights. So we'll get the lighting just right for the photos. And so they put us all on a line against the cave wall and I was standing with my parents and my brother waiting on our turn. And I was listening to the young couple in front of us talk and I could tell that they were, um, on their honeymoon and they were really excited about this cave and like getting some good pictures they could take home. So I did what any of you would do. When it was their turn to take a photo, I crept as quietly as I could behind them. As they did their romantic poses, I stood about one foot behind them, giving them lots of winsome smiles and waves. And a red and white soccer jersey. Like a young, friendly Ronaldo politician. I don't know, Andrea, I'm just talking just saying things we continued with the tour and uh, when we got like to the the, back to the top of the cave you into the the gift shop as usual and so these these happy newlyweds are standing there waiting on their photos to come out their their prized commemorative photo to remember their uh, their honeymoon and as they picked them up with confused glances I resumed my position at their six o'clock and looked over their shoulder and I said we took a great picture didn't we <laughs> and they I don't think they were as amused as we were <laughs> and do you know why their perfect plans were ruined I'm about to do this watch because they couldn't see the destroyer <laughs> lurking in the darkness that was me <laughs> Y'all know you like the painful painful Christian twist to the story. But it is true that when the way is dark, you can't see what's around you. You don't know what's going on. They had no idea I was there because they needed light. And today we are, in fact, going to continue our discussion of the Sermon on the Mount and figure out what Jesus was saying when he talks about light. So let's remember from last week, the main message that Jesus was preaching that leads up to the Sermon on the Mount, because I believe that the whole Sermon on the Mount does, in fact, revolve around this theme. Repent. Start to think differently. That's what it means. For the kingdom of heaven, the realm where God dwells and rules, has come near. It's been joined to this one. This is the teaching around which the start of Jesus' ministry revolved. And last week, we talked a lot about salt. But this week, we will keep up the trend of a one-word title, light. Pray with me for a moment. God, I do pray that you would help us to understand you and that you would illuminate all that you're saying to us. God, I pray that this word would, would sit right along all those that have already come this morning. God, a call to transformation. a call to a complete change of who we are so that we can fulfill what you came to do. God, I pray that as we hear it today, we just wouldn't hear it with our minds, God, but that our spirits would be alive and our spirits would be listening, and that they would be called to attention, that they'd be called to transformation that would stick whenever we leave Raise your hand if you've started memorizing the Sermon on the Mount with us. There have been a lot of people. They're not all in here. There's like 15 people doing it. This is the one you have to memorize for today, so. Light shows the way. Light is the friend of those who want to walk without a misstep, but it's a disruption to those trying to work in secret. It reveals a way back to God. Just by encountering the purity of light, people are presented with a choice. Walk in the way that leads back to God, or choose to hide themselves. When Jesus compares us to lamps, it brings another scripture to my mind. The writer of Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light to my path. So Jesus says that I'm a lamp, and he says that you're a lamp, but the scripture also says the word is a lamp. And my brain likes to jump all around in scripture. And I start remembering all these other things about the word and the light. And so go with me for a second. Let's read a bit about the word together, since the word and the light seem to be connected. Sorry, I tried to fit all this on one slide. If you can't read it, just listen. <laughs> <laughs> Point that size 0. 0.5 font. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The life inside of Jesus was the light that would illuminate the way to God for all mankind. He's the word, yes, also the light. And the light would shine brightly and force people to make a decision because they couldn't miss it or unsee it. The light was so intense that they only had two choices. Reject it or be transformed by it into an entire new bloodline and family. Those are drastic options. Reject it or be completely changed. How could you be more different than to be completely reborn as a new person with a new bloodline is describing the, the most drastic change possible. Let's understand, Jesus was the light. But John the Baptist, he was not the light. It says that he came to testify to the light, but he was not the light. But Jesus said these words about John, his Wild evangelist of a cousin. Truly I tell you, he said, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And before Jesus started the sermon, what was the main message Jesus was proclaiming? The kingdom of heaven is near. See, this is the good news. As righteous and devoted as he was, John couldn't become the light because the kingdom had not yet been opened. It says specifically, he's not the light. But as we sit here today, the door is flung wide open to all who will walk through it. The light has come into the world, and if you will follow it to being reborn, you will become light yourself. Something that John as great as he was, never had the opportunity to do. You will become greater than the greatest man. That's what Jesus said. This is Jesus' invitation to you. You will become something so great that no man could ever become it. It transcends the natural laws of this this human world, and it illuminates that which is unseen and eternal and all who know you will be confronted with the glory of God. You know, Paul describes this exact process that we're talking about in his letter to the Corinthian church. Remember when Moses went up on the mountain and he was going to receive the Ten Commandments? And because he had been with with God, when he came back down the mountain, his face shone with a radiance so so shocking that the people couldn't even bear to look at it. They were terrified. And so he covered it with a veil until the glory slowly faded, the radiance slowly faded from his face. What Paul is saying is that when we enter this new kingdom that Jesus brought, the one that John's talking about and the one that Jesus is talking about in this Sermon on the Mount, when you encounter this new kingdom, the presence of God fills us and we shine his glory just as Moses did. But, because this new covenant is so much greater than the old one, the Holy Spirit will actually indwell us and the radiance will never fade. It will actually produce righteousness in us and we will shine increasingly more and more as God's life has made manifest in us. Look, I'm talking at you a lot today, but I'm just, I'm mostly what I'm doing today is just going to quote you like a, a million scriptures I didn't put them all on the screen. I'm just saying them to you in sentences, okay? (laughs) With this in mind, Jesus says you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. A face that shines with this much radiance can't be missed. In fact, the glory that your life produces will make people uncomfortable, and they will ask you to veil it. That's the culture we live in. It's just a personal truth, people say. Well, yes, the truth is very personal because he's a person. We call him the light and we call him the word. And he's transforming us from glory to glory to glory. He's making us to shine with a brilliance that doesn't even exist in the kingdom of the earth, which is why we can't always put our finger on it or explain it. It only comes from the eternal kingdom. It only tells of the eternal kingdom. And if that kingdom lives in us, we can't have this. If the kingdom doesn't live in us, we can't have that life. Those who are looking for earthly fulfillment will not inherit it. You know, Jesus talks about fulfillment. Fulfillment means to be made complete. And isn't that what pretty much everybody is actually looking for? To be made complete? Mm -hmm. Sometimes as people, we search around and we don't even really know what we're looking for. But if we were made complete, that would probably do it. (laughs) When Jesus is done explaining that we are to be salt and light, he starts talking about fulfilling the law and the prophets. This confused me at first. This transition didn't make sense to me at first, but let's read it. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. This feels to me almost like a sudden and unrelated transition. We're talking about salt and light, and then all of a sudden we're talking about not abolishing the law and the prophets. But it's it's not sudden. We are to be as he is in the world. Just as Jesus is light, we are light. He just told you, you're light. In the same way, just as his life is a... Fulfillment of both the law and the prophets, so are your lives. For time's sake, I'm going to skip a pile of scripture that I could read to you to prove this idea. And I'll stick with only the one that I just referenced. First John chapter 4 says, as he is, so also are we in this world. See, whatever we observe in the life of Jesus, we are to live from the same spirit, right? So listen when Jesus tells you what he came to do, because he probably called you to do it too. Jesus was telling the people that he is the fulfillment of all they've been waiting for. What have the law and the prophets been pointing to this whole time for thousands of years? They've been pointing to a coming Messiah a spotless lamb, a royal priest. He's speaking something that these people actually probably hear as blasphemy. He's saying, I'm changing your understanding of the law, but I get to do that because it has all pointed to me. I am the perfect version of everything that you've read about and everything that you've misunderstood for thousands of years. This is not a teaching only about morality. It's a claim of identity. This is where you may feel like Jesus is doing something that doesn't directly apply to you. In fact, I paused when I started writing this in the sermon. I mean, of course we're supposed to believe that Jesus is a fulfillment of all that's been taught and predicted, right? But what about us? We can't claim that we are the fulfillment of anything, can we? And apart from Jesus, who is claiming to be the fulfiller, that would be right. We absolutely cannot fulfill anything. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. Since the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So if we believe this scripture, the spirit of Jesus who lives in us is the very fulfillment of the law and the prophets. You are a vessel for the spirit to fill. You are carrying the light within you, becoming one with him, and so you shine the light. It's that simple. When Jesus is telling you what he's doing, he's probably inviting you to do it also because his desire is to be one with you. He tells us to do the things that he's done. He tells you to take up your cross. He tells us to join him in his death and also join him in his resurrection. If he plans to fulfill the law, you should plan to fulfill the law. Romans says it like this. Should we continue in sin and practice sin as a habit so that God's gift of grace may increase and overflow? (laughs) Certainly not. How can we, the very ones who died to sin, continue to live in it any longer? Or are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We have therefore been buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory and power of the Father, we too might walk habitually in newness of life abandoning our old ways i really like this transit, translation because it says we too will walk habitually in newness of life That's Good. habitually yeah. because do you remember what we talked about last week if you want to be salt you have to do what jesus is preaching before he even starts the sermon you have to <laughs> repent which means change the way that you think you have to become completely new because if you think different and if your insides are different then different comes out on accident. You habitually live in newness of life, not with a struggle, not trying so hard to like finally get it right, but because the spirit is in you and you're changed, it's habitual. It just comes out. Jesus is fulfilling the law, and he he plans to fulfill it in you also. your spirit must be changed into one that is dead to sin. You saw Paul's question. If we died to sin, he's confused. If we died to sin, how would it even be possible to continue living in sin? So we know that when we live in sin, we are living according to the old person who should be dead but only when we submit our inner lives to the spirit of Jesus are we able to fulfill the law, to live apart from sin. When the kingdom of God joins with our inner world, we start to think with pure minds and our actions fulfill the law because we are living out of love and obedience, not out of selfish desire, not with our eyes fixed on ourselves. So, Jesus fulfilled the law in perfection, right? You believe he lived a sinless life? It's important. He's the spotless Lamb. And if Jesus is fulfilling the law, but he's fulfilling the prophets also, aren't we also joining with him to make those prophecies a reality? Don't get me wrong, hear me clearly. You can't do any of this in your own strength. Not a bit. But empowered by the Spirit, we come into unity with the Godhead as the body of Christ. And we fulfill what has been prophesied. Let me tell you what's been prophesied about you. And let your spirit man, as I read, as I read these words, let your spirit man rise up inside of your chest And realize who you are. Because we know that all creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And that is you. Listen to this. If you turn my reproof, behold, I will pour my spirit out to you. I will make my words known to you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. And these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Jesus says that he has given to us all the glory that the Father gave to him. Those are all words prophesied about who you're going to be. I didn't write them. Don't you see that you are the fulfillment of the words of the prophets who came before and even the greatest prophet, Jesus, whose spirit now lives in you? All creation waits and groans because if we, with the spirit of Christ dwelling in us, don't fulfill those prophecies and those words that I just read, then tell me who will? And this, this what we are describing, this is what Jesus means when he calls you the light of the world. When the world sees a person who's been so changed that they radiate the brilliance of God in the way that we love each other, sacrificially, in our oneness with God, in the tangible glory that was passed from the Father to the Son, To us, when the world sees that person, they're seeing the light of God. So the scripture tells you to be a city built up high on a hill or a lamp properly placed to light the entire house. You are to be clearly visible. But it isn't your image or your talents or your accomplishments that people need to see. They actually do need to see how holy you are. I'm going to say that again because I think it's important and I think people run away from it. The world actually does need to see how holy you are. It isn't arrogance to know that God has done a great work in you. You need to be so changed by the Spirit of God living in you that you cannot help but emanate the light and good deeds of Christ. Because you were made to shine, not to put the light under a bowl. That made me think. Paul calls us earthen vessels, right? He says that we're earthen vessels that contain the light of God. You are a vessel. You're not the thing by yourself. You're a vessel. And you know what a bowl is? Yeah, a bowl is a vessel. It holds things, right? And Jesus is telling you what to do with yourself. He says no one puts the light underneath the vessel and hides it. That would be silly. They place it so that the light can be seen by all, so that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, because you have been changed in a way that could never have been the work of any man. Do you get it? Your holiness is actually important to the kingdom of God. This is the last verses of the sermon we're going to cover today. Jesus says this. Man, he just keeps hitting it harder. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not Enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees. Well, we're at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We have a lot of thoughts about the Pharisees. But we're, we're right at the beginning of his ministry. And Jesus has yet to have a bunch of run-ins with the Pharisees. Um, don't get me wrong. He very well may be poking the bear a little bit already. But... That's not all he's doing here. The bottom line is that the Pharisees followed the letter of the law. They followed it very closely. Just as Saul, before his name, which changed to Paul, you remember him, was blameless. It says that he was blameless according to the law of the Hebrews. And just as the rich young ruler had obeyed all the commandments from his youth, Jesus just keeps pushing and he actually says a couple minutes later, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Man. This is tough. This is a tough sermon, guys. I mean, like, this makes you ask, is Jesus telling me to do something that's impossible? (laughs) Yes. I'm going to answer it for you. He is. He is telling you, That the life of Jesus, his own life, must be manifested in your mortal flesh. Your righteousness righteousness is never going to do it. Only his can. And this this is why we receive both forgiveness, but also grace to change, because he comes and he dwells inside of us. We don't fulfill the law so that we can be born again we are born again so that we can fulfill the law. We inherit the righteousness and glory of Jesus Christ, and then we shine it by showing what we were created for. You remember what God said when he made man? Let us make man in our image. You were created to be imagers of God, reflectors of the one who made us fulfillers of his promises. So when you preach to people as Jesus did and say the kingdom of God is near, no one has to ask you where it is. There's no need to ask because they already see it in you. You guys know what lights don't have to try very hard to do? Shine. It's just what they are. You don't have to muster it up if you become it. Yeah, that's right. And the only way to become it is complete surrender to the real light that came into the world. Jesus is the light of the world and he lives in you. So you are the light of the world. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the law, and he resides in you. So live according to his righteousness. I'm calling you up. Do it. Live according to his righteousness. Let's hold ourselves to the the grace, to using, to utilizing the grace that Jesus has put inside us. Jesus is the fulfillment of every prophecy, and he lives in you. So please go into the world with all the power and authority that his spirit brings and shine because it's who he is and therefore it's who you are. I just want us to finish with a moment of putting our attention on Jesus. If you will, just close your eyes and put your focus on him right now. You can't do any of what I just preached, but he can. he can do it in you. God, we just put all of our attention and all of our affection on you. God, even when we're just quiet before you, we experience your light. We experience the light of your presence and your glory. And these moments, God, of experiencing you, they change us more than all the moments of trying really hard. So Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice that was paid so that we could be one with you so that any of this would be possible. God, in order for that to happen, you had to be the spotless lamb. You had to live a perfect life and you had to choose to lay your life down. You had to choose to spill your blood for us. God, we're just really grateful. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode from ClearPath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.ClearPathDallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at ClearPathDallas. Thanks for listening.